is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 28 through 40. After telling a parable to the crowd at Jericho, Jesus went on ahead. He went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethphage and Bethany, at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Gracious God, meet us now in this place. Help us to believe you have something you want us to hear, something you want us to trust, that you have seen to it that we are gathered here, this particular group of people in this room at this particular time and those who are joining online. Help us to believe that you see us and all of our beauty and all of our fragmentation and you desire to abide with us. That we are actually welcome in your presence. Help us today to believe that you delight in us. And that we are your beloved children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been thinking a lot about my dad lately. Uh, my dad died on March the 28th, 2003. And then his funeral was on April the 1st, a few days later. I don't know what it is, but I don't ever remember the March 28th date. I just know when April 1st hit, I'm like, oh yeah, we buried our dad on April Fool's Day. Great. And you know, there are some foolish things he did, but he was no fool. But like any parent, we look back at some of the things we said or did with our kids and we're like, what were we thinking? <laughs> My dad was an interesting guy. He was kind of forced into adulthood, to a phase of adulthood pretty quickly because at the age of 36, his father, age 58 at the time, was killed in a car wreck. I was one year old. It was 1964, so I never knew that grandfather very well. 
um, at all, but um, his last picture ever shot was me sitting on his lap, and uh, I carry his name, my middle name, Orman, a lovely name. Anyway, um, so uh, <laughs> two boys, neither one of them named Orman in the Harrell family. Uh, but, but, you know, I think that that forcing dad into that role so quickly, he, he, he kind of... Um, he became a person who was very uptight in many ways. He was always trying to control things around him. And he started to value two things my dad really valued. Um, he valued not wasting anything. He was a child of the Depression, born in 1928. So any kind of waste drove him nuts. And so it was very normal to hear my dad say, as soon as any child in the Harold family, there were four of us on the last of four, as soon as they cracked open the refrigerator door, within six to eight seconds, you would hear, Close the refrigerator. I mean, it is Florida, so it is hot. But I mean, close. I mean, it was just a little bit crazy. Um, just waste of any kind. We had a pool in the backyard, and every kid in the neighborhood loved our pool. And my mom was the kind that was like, "Come one, come all. Let them all come to our house." And my dad was like, "Keep them all away." And he would literally open up the door and yell at us kids for quote splashing too much water out of the pool. One day in my smart alecky phase, I said to him, do you think you have saved one drop of water with that command? But it also had to do with silence. Dad was big on his words, be still. Those are the words. I remember. My therapist asked me, if a phrase comes to mind when you think about your dad, what is it? And the first thing in my mind was, be still. Be quiet. If you rode with him in the car, the, the radio was never on, ever. Just be still. Be quiet. He would say at the dinner table, children are to be seen, thank you, and not heard. And how well do you think that went? <laughs> do you think a child remotely stopped talking because of that command? No, for many of us, it was just an invitation to talk. We'd go on vacation, and Dad would do this. He would say, okay, too much noise in this car. When my hand goes down, we're going to play the quiet game. Ready? One, two, three. How do you think that turned out? Soon we would all go, I lost, oh, sorry, just as fast as we could, just to be a little bit irritating. It's it just, but when people with power try to silence people, it almost never goes well, right? It just never goes well. It's not good for a family system. It's not good for politics and our government. In this very famous phrase we have in this particular version of the Palm Sunday um, uh, story, we have leaders telling Jesus to tell his disciples to be quiet. And Jesus famously responds with, these very stones will cry out. Are you kidding me? If I tell them to be quiet? And so that's the Palm Sunday sermon uh, or version we have today. And I'm reminded, as I always am when I think about Palm Sunday, it's such a weird day because we're all sitting here and we all know what's going to happen. And Jesus had told his disciples what was going to happen, but they had all pretty much forgotten it. I mean, who wants to believe that story, that he's going to suffer and die? Hey, there's a lot of good things happening right here. We've got some momentum in this movement. We've got people raising palm branches. We just had the raising of the dead from Lazarus at the beginning of this week. And at the end of this week, in comes Jesus with the palm branches. He's at his height. There's a lot of things that are going really well. Word had spread. Surely there was this plot to not only execute Jesus, but also Lazarus as well. Jesus' will was all the rage, but that will change because, as Anne Lamott says, expectations are resentments under construction. 
Expectations are resentments under construction. One commentator says this story is going to go from hail him to nail him. So let's talk about the hail him part for just a second because I think we have two different groups here raising branches as I've studied this. The first group felt seen by Jesus. They were the poorest of the poor. The boot of military occupation and oppression hurt them the absolute worst. They felt it more intensely. And Jesus had made it clear that his kingdom was for such as these. So this group of people, I'm going to say, get the message of Jesus. Because they saw themselves in his picture of what he was painting for the future. His vision, his, the reign of God. They can see themselves in it. And having a part in repairing the world. They look at Jesus and think, this is no ordinary person claiming to be a Messiah. This was somebody who's enacting the prophetic vision of the prophets before him. This is someone who identified himself with those that empire thinks are a nuisance to the bloodthirsty commitment to acquisition and control and force with violence. So Jesus saw them. They, they knew about his first sermon he preached in Nazareth. When he stood up and he, and, he, and he proclaims from the book of Isaiah in his very first sermon, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. They saw a Messiah who was going to be turning everything upside down. One who sins for a donkey and comes into Jerusalem on a ridiculous peace donkey on the east side of town where they all live, where the refuge and the stench would flow down to the lower parts of the city. Did you know that there was another procession going on at the same time from the other part of the city? A procession of, of power, of imperial power, power, as Pilate's imperial procession would come in on their massive war horses. Historians say these are both happening at the same time. A peace donkey procession, an imperial procession, two processions. Jesus is proclaiming the reign of God among the peasant classes. Pilate's proclaiming the power of empire and trusting in violence to control and maintain power. And historians say that Jesus was intentionally creating a counter procession. Sounds just like Jesus, if you ask me. Very kind of thing he would do. And so Palm Sunday always presses us to ask a hard question, which procession are you in? Which procession is your life about? Because this clash of choices was being made alarmingly clear. And it must have been so thrilling for these people who have no voice to at least for a moment sense that they do as they're waving the branches and singing, liberate us. Save us. Hosanna. They said, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven, verse 38 says. Now, as I said, some people didn't like this. The Pharisees sense momentum. And this expression of joy makes them uncomfortable. Pay attention to that. Anytime someone else's expression of joy makes you uncomfortable, 
check yourself. See what's happening in that very minute. Jesus tells him, they tell Jesus, order your disciples to stop. And Jesus famously says to them, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. Now, just for a second, that's a remarkable thing to say. If I may paraphrase Jesus, he is saying, what I am up to in this world cannot be contained by the silencing of the voices of those who dream for a better world. What I am up to in this world cannot be stopped by political or religious power. You can't muzzle what the Spirit is doing here. The deadest thing you can think of, a stone, would animate and shout out if need be. Remarkable. The discomfort of others is often not enough of a reason to keep the silence. Reverend Ashley Dutar Burt said this, Expressing our joys, telling our truths, asking the questions we need to ask, repenting and making amends, being our honest and authentic selves, these things are too important to be silent. We shouldn't have to restrain ourselves because some may temporarily experience discomfort. Rather, we should be free, like the rocks, like the disciples, and the school to cry out, to be loud, and to make whatever noise we need to make to exist. Amen. So I think the first group of people, they get it at least a little better than the second group. I don't believe this is the group of people that were going to be fickle and yell crucify him a few days later. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. I think these are the people actually who stayed at the cross at the very last. But there's a second group of people who are also waving palm branches and who are understandably hoping for a very different outcome. And this group of people had nostalgia. They had memory, just like we have memories. We think about our country, these patriotic ideas about, well, you know, we, we think back to July the 4th, et cetera, from 1776. Well, these people could point back 150 or more years later to a revolt, the Maccabean revolt, led by Judas the Hammer Maccabeus. That was his name. That was who he was known as. They remember that too. They remember a victory that was had. They remember waving palm branches at a people at that victory. This is where the palms come in, folks. And waving those palms, and even Judas Maccabeus himself had their currency imprinted with a palm branch to always remind them to symbolize that victory. And so they're grabbing the palm branches, and they're going, oh yeah, we know what this is about. Lead us. Lead us like Joshua the Canaanite killer. Lead us like David the warrior. Lead us like Judas Maccabeus the hammer. And bring it down on this Roman Empire. Liberate us now. They're clearly anticipating that Jesus was about to do that again. But here's the problem. Jesus is not like those other folks. Jesus came in with a different instrument altogether, and it wasn't a sword. It was the apparent, apparent powerlessness of the cross. That's how Jesus comes, the Prince of Peace. Now, on the screen, we're going to put up the rest of that reading. I meant to make it a little longer than it was, because this is what goes on to happen in verse 41. As he came near and saw the city, he wept over it. 
saying, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Indeed, the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave within you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation from God. Jesus is weeping for a people who don't recognize the things that make for peace. He knows he has been deeply misunderstood no matter how clearly he had talked about what would happen to him. Jesus had told them he was going to be betrayed and into the hands of authorities and then suffer and die, but they would have none of that. And who, like I said, who can blame them? I mean, when Jesus said this to Peter, Peter said, no, that could never happen. And so Jesus calls him Satan. So there's that. He says, get behind me. Nothing will stop what is going to happen. God will not be stopped. And Jesus' tears as he looks at the city are both compassionate and pragmatic because a generation later, Jerusalem would experience exactly what Jesus just said. They would experience total destruction, the loss of hundreds of thousands of lives as the Romans with their sword and their catapult stones pummeled Jerusalem with devastating consequences by insisting on a political rebellion. Something to consider. Think about this for just a minute. They were hailing Jesus as king. Now that is well and good. But there's always the danger I think this has some really interesting modern application. There's always the danger of being more concerned about worshiping Jesus, which he accepted, than following Jesus and his ideas, which he commanded all the time. Following Jesus means you take up his ideas and you put them into practice. And so I just want to suggest to you that you can do a good job, I suppose, of worshiping Jesus and completely miss the point, miss the plot, as it were. In fact, I would say you can worship Jesus and gather lots of theological information about Jesus as a way of ignoring what he taught. We saw this, didn't we, during the pandemic? As this one famous worship leader led worship services that were ignoring everything Jesus said about love of neighbor in the midst of the pandemic. How misguided, but how human, how human. What are the things that make for peace? Well, we look to Jesus' ideas, perhaps in the Sermon on the Mount where these ideas of Jesus are everywhere. For example, the golden rule. Stay with me on this. We tend to separate out the golden rule as something that's over here, park it, remember it as a platitude. But we forget what Jesus says right after it. Hear me. In everything, do to others as you would have them do to you, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. What narrow gate? That narrow gate. That rule. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is easy that leads to destruction. And there are many who take it, for the gate is narrow and the road is hard that leads to life. And there are few who find it. 
Have you ever connected the narrow gate to the golden rule? Turns out the narrow gate is not a sinner's prayer. The narrow gate is the practice of the way of Jesus. Who knew the narrow gate and living into that is fulfilling the law and the prophets by emphatic and empathetic love of neighbor and imitation of Jesus? So let's be honest. We do this too. (laughs) We have expectations of God, one of which might be that God protects us from a deadly virus or any number of calamities that we see others go through. Surely it won't happen to me. The God I expect is the provider of steady jobs, fulfilling careers, perfect spouses, and especially perfect children. How have these expectations of God been your resentments under construction? How might that be driving your way of thinking about God right now? It's understandable. I'm not here to condemn it. I'm just here to reveal it and talk about it. To consider it. Because the God I expect and the God who is often are not the same. Darn it. So Jesus' response of all of this is to continue into town. When he could have turned around and regrouped. So he rides in among the poor on his peace donkey instead of a war horse. Intentionally teaches his way of peace to the bitter end, continuing to a cross, revealing a God who turns violence, murder, and the lust for power that characterizes every superpower into mercy, grace, and forgiveness. God will not be stopped about what God has determined to do to draw all people to God's self through Jesus lifted high and on a cross. And as we know, that is where this is headed in a few more days. Because Pilate understands Jesus. He sees someone who is there to be a wrench in the engine of empire. And Jesus will have to be put to death. As I've said many times, Jesus on the cross is a state-sanctioned, religiously endorsed lynching. As Barbara Brown Taylor says, Jesus was not killed by atheism and anarchy. He was brought down by law and order allied with religion, which is always a deadly mix. And Jesus went against that deadly mix. Jesus wasn't just out here doing random acts of kindness with his miracles. These are signs pointing to the arrival of his new arrangement of the world called the kingdom of God, the reign of God. Which means the government of God, the politics of God, the alternative arrangement of the world that comes from God. Jesus was proclaiming to what the scriptures call the principalities and powers. To the very rich, Herod. To the very religious, Caiaphas. To the very powerful, Pilate. And the institutions that they represent and the malevolent spirits that energize it all, that their name that their time was up because the alternative from heaven was now within reach. That's the kind of thing that got Jesus killed. And so while Jesus' response to the crowd was to continue to the cross, Jesus' response to Pilate was to stay on the cross. To stay on the cross. Revealing God for all time as co-suffering love. Revealing God for all time as being one who is willing to die, then kill his enemies. 
which is why theologians have called Christ upon the cross the clearest revelation of who God is. And Jesus stays on that cross, not because he's up there trying to change God's mind or satisfy his lust for wrath. Jesus lays down his life as an act of triune love, as the way God would be revealed in this world. The New Testament never mentions God being reconciled to us. It's us and all of creation being reconciled to God. As I've said from here for many times, Jesus was not on the cross changing God's mind about you, but changing our mind about God. The reconciliation of the cross is not God being changed. Rather, it's about the relationship of human beings and all of creation to God that has changed. Pilate insists on calling Jesus a king, and while he meant it in a mocking way, he got it right. Because the cross is the coronation of the world's rightful king. A friend of mine, Carlos Rodriguez, posted today on Facebook, he said, the humble king who rides a donkey on his way to die for his enemies... The kind leader who enters our cities to serve us, not to dominate us. The carpenter from Nazareth who builds a table of inclusion for all. Time to get off our high horses and follow Jesus. And I would add, in his ridiculous peace donkey. Someone says right now, well, Fred, you know, you're always talking about how God loves us. But what about judgment? What about accountability here? And I just want to point out something. From his cross, Jesus Christ, the king, looks out at the world and no one escapes his judgment. Bear with me. No one who betrays him. No one who executes, those who execute him. Those who love him, those who ignore him. He judges us all from the cross. And the pronouncement is made, and the judgment is forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're caught up in something that's so much bigger than them, they don't even know they're being dragged around by it. Just kind of an apt description of a mob mentality. Everyone in this story is projecting what they think they need Jesus to be. Let us remember Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That is an eternally valid statement. Friends, while the suffering and death of Jesus on the cross is not about you, it is certainly for you. Nothing separates you from the love of God and Jesus. Nothing. Not even death itself, which we'll talk about next Sunday. So I end with this quote from Nadia Bowles-Weber. We people are the likes of which God came to save. God did not become human and dwell among us as Jesus to save only an improved, doesn't make the wrong choices kind of people. There's an improved version of humanity that could have done any differently, so go ahead. Don't wait until you think your motivations are correct. Don't wait till you're sure you believe every single line of the Nicene Creed. No one does. Don't worry about coming to church this week for the right reasons. Just wave branches. 
Shout praise for the wrong reason. Eat a meal, have your feet washed, grab a coin, shout crucify him, walk away when the cock crows because we as we are and not as some improved version of ourselves, we are who God came to save and nothing can stop what's going to happen. Hosanna in the highest indeed. Welcome to Holy Week. Amen.